welcome, welcome, welcome. Hello. Hello. La, la, la. Hi, all. Welcome. It's Wednesday night, Generational Change. I'm Jen. I'm Peter. Where were we just now? We just came from the polls. We just came from our pol closest polling location, which is um, Western Regional Library and Plantation. And um, it wasn't as dead as I thought it would be, but it certainly wasn't very lively either. Now, I do think that a lot of it is people do vote by mail now. Yeah. So a lot of vote, like a lot of mail-in ballots are still being... Well, people are voting by mail, but they're bringing their ballots to yes. the actual... Yeah, they're not yeah. putting that in the mailbox. They're, they're doing they're doing it through the mail, and then they're bringing the ballots to the... Uh, yeah, they don't trust... They, it's funny. They don't... Tr they get the thing mailed to them on the way out, right. but they don't trust the mail to get it back in, which I find just really kind of interesting. Well, we always say that elections uh, matter most when they're local. Um, and there's a lot of local stuff that's going on. So we, of course, I was out supporting our friend Nick Sordle for mayor of Plantation. Yep. Um, and I was actually happy to see, as was his wife, Robin, who I showed that thing you sent me, that the state party um, put out a list of mayoral endorsements throughout the state. And in Broward, they did endorse Nick, which is really nice, um, especially considering, you know, and they endorsed Mike Elman, which was also with. somewhat surprising. Well, Apparently, our current mayor has the endorsement of the firefighters. And because that, she actually had arranged for them. They were out blocking the road in where the library is and in support of Stoner and not letting the, they had the fire trucks out. Um, and so, which is just so obnoxious. Yeah, but you definitely want their support. Oh, you definitely want their support, but it's just, I feel like it's unfortunate because chances are the actual firefighters have no, they don't really know like what they're, they, they don't know what's necessarily in their best interest, but apparently it has more to do with their upcoming contract and who knows what Stoner threatened them with. Who yeah, knows? that's politics in a nutshell. And yes, guys, our mayor's name is Stoner and she does such a disservice to she's that She's a man. doubter of a Stoner. Well, one of the biggest disappointments ever. When I first saw there was someone named Lynn Stoner running for mayor when I lived in Davie and I saw that, I'm like, I almost wanted to move to Plantation just to have a mayor Stoner. And it turns out she's just so uncool. <laughs> yeah, she's just so uncool. Like she is the complete opposite. Like it's just she does a disservice. Well, I think we would be better served with somebody like Nick Sorrell. But of course, we have a what we call like a residential guest because much like a handful of others, um, you know, People Margaret Kimberly, Steve Grumbine. Uh, this is a good friend and the first person who ever interviewed Jen when she ran for Congress. And of course, he is the. Best of the best when it comes to journalism in the United States, my opinion. Of course, it's uh, maybe biased to some degree, but I think if you really look around about what's really going on these days, you would agree that we really don't have a lot in terms of investigative journalism. But we have Jordan Charrington of Status Good News. We're grateful for that. And he's here once again. Welcome back to Generational Change. Hey, guys. Hey, Jordan. What's going on? Uh, just trucking along here. I'm uh, actually doing double duty because I've begun working on a book. So I'm knee deep into that. And, uh, you know, my daily grind. So you're going to be taking off though. Is that what I saw something that you said recently where you said you were going to be taking off for like a month or so. And I wasn't sure if that was professional or personal or both. Uh, well, I hope to sleep and have some personal time, but, no. uh, no, I'm going to be, I'm going to be, uh, working full time on the book because, uh, it's pretty hard to, uh, write a book if you're also doing live streams and videos and 
uh, traveling and all the other stuff I'm doing. There's a lot more live streams than we do. But so I'm just know. saying that we can't seem to get our crap done on our Z. No, but we, I, I, I told you, just send me whatever. Yeah, I don't, it doesn't work that way and whatever. So, no, I just thought, were you taking family leave? But that's not what you're doing. Right. I have uh, four chapters done. Uh, so I'm hoping with a month or two, I'll be able to finish the whole thing. And then there's the whole matter of, you know, trying to find a publisher in this uh in this news news world. So uh, I'm currently kind of behind the scenes working with somebody to try and find a publisher. It's about Flint uh, to leave the suspense. So uh, I figured that I figured that, but I guess I should have asked that out loud for other people. But yes, yeah. See, this is why you're good at what you do. And I'm just mm -hmm. like in here. We obviously have a lot to talk about regarding what's transpired in the past 24 to 48 hours. But I think it, we really should because the most important thing is what's going on with the workers at the Amazon labor facility up in Albany. We all know that we don't have real labor laws in this country anymore because union busting is something that has become almost second nature for these oligarchs, especially Jeff Bezos, who's probably the biggest union buster of them all. Although I think the Walton family will probably compete for that once the Walmart workers really <laughs> start getting their act together. What happened up in Albany? Why did they not unionize? Yeah, I think there's a lot of reasons, but I think Amazon, uh, the union busting that they did in uh, Staten Island, they kind of dialed it up a few notches in Albany. Um, there was, frankly, threats to disabled workers, which I'd, I had never seen before. Uh, I, I received audio of uh, workers with disabilities being brought into uh, HR uh, and put under investigation for essentially asking the union busting consultants that Amazon has flooded these warehouses with to leave them alone. Uh, one of those workers is now suspended. Um, and also uh, that worker in particular, I learned uh, Amazon HR basically tried to manipulate a worker with a cognitive disability into saying Christian Smalls, the uh, head of the Amazon labor union had started a fire at the warehouse. Um, so I would say a few things. Number one, if you look at Staten Island, they had a year to organize, which they needed. Uh, they needed that year. Uh, this warehouse, once they got approval to hold an election, it was like a month or so after that that they held the election. Right. Uh, secondly, Amazon was very they they have more union busting consultants that they're bringing in from out of state than actual like managers at this warehouse. And I was told by a few workers that essentially it's like these consultants are hovering over workers and they're pulling them aside constantly, just propaganda, propaganda, propaganda about voting no. Uh, why, if the union passes, we might have to lay people off. Right. If the union passes, you know, benefits might get, uh, you know, less generous. Uh, and I think that how a couple workers put it to me was, I think it was kind of like a psychological uh, psychological warfare that they made workers think if they voted yes, that Amazon would find out and they could lose their jobs, which, of course, it's a secret ballot. So Amazon, I mean, I wouldn't say definitely couldn't find out, but they're not supposed to find out. But I think, you know, if you're a worker, it's really tough times out there. Most of these workers are paycheck to paycheck. A lot of them work multiple jobs outside of Amazon. Um, if you are intimidated that way, uh, you know, Christian Smalls and uh, the folks at JFK weren't up there full time, obviously, because it's in Albany. Uh, it's that's it's powerful. Uh, they lost by 200 votes. So that is a lot. But, you know, 
technically, if a few things changed, uh, it could have been narrowed. So I think in terms of Amazon, um, they have all the money in the world to throw a, a, this army of union-busting consultants in warehouses around the country. Uh, Starbucks, you know, they didn't have that level. We're talking like, you know, over 10 to 15 union-busting consultants flooding this warehouse. Uh, Starbucks did not have have it to that level. And of course, the difference is Starbucks, you know, at the most, maybe 30 workers. These warehouses have right. 800, 900 workers. So uh, there's going to be a lot of, uh, I think there's going to be more lost battles uh, until Amazon workers get kind of that run where you just take off and everyone's voting yes. Uh, but I think, you know, there's going to have to be lessons learned because to me, this, I kind of compare it to what progressives have dealt with, with the flood of super PAC money coming into primaries. Uh, it's kind of similar where these workers, I mean, it's just a flood of propaganda and union busting consultants really making them fear voting yes. I was going to say that. I was going to say this sounds like an electoral politics system where, yeah, you can't do that kind of campaign in a month. Like that, that's not, that's something that probably takes multiple tries, just like we deal with as the left challenging incumbents. It's the same thing. Like it's, it's something that takes sort of like chipping away. So um, the fact that, that they're even making this much progress is still somewhat inspired to me because it still was, you know, where were we two years ago on any of that? Like it's still, I don't know. I feel somewhat well, hopeful. I also think that the broader issue here that, um, you know, I don't, I don't know if there's a solution uh, imminently is there's no real labor laws in this country. I mean, example, like I said, I mean, you have a, dis a worker with a disability pulled into uh, HR they say he's under investigation. He's not even allowed to have another worker there as a witness. Uh, he, you know, he's not capable. He has a cognitive impairment of really sticking up for himself. Uh, then they try to rope him into, you know, blaming a fire on Christian Smalls. When he says, no, Christian didn't start the fire. They then ask, did you start the fire? He says, no. Well, did somebody from the la Amazon labor union start the fire? He says, no. They escort him out and suspend him. Uh, there's no labor laws other than for them to file with the National Labor Relations Board a complaint. And the best case scenario there is, you know, months and months and months and he gets reinstated. But there's no criminal consequences for Amazon to do these kind of things. I was also told that Amazon had safety uh, officials guarding outside the warehouse to not let media in the day the days of the election. Uh, I was up there a week before the election. I wasn't there the days of the election, but I wonder why they wouldn't want media there. So there really is no labor protections where a company like Amazon would think twice to just blatantly break the law because it's not like Jeff Bezos or anyone's going to jail for these kind of things at the most. Maybe they'll have to pay some fines. That's why the PRO Act was so important, which we got lip service from the Democratic Party, but no actual effort to pass it. So until there are... Um, until there are actual labor laws that actually have teeth, uh, I think we're going to see more of this. Uh, the union, Christian Amazon Labor Union, I think they're going to have to, you know, be resilient and take lessons learned from this loss. And how do we combat with this army of union busting consultants when it's not our warehouse? Because remember, Christian and the Amazon Labor Union, they were organizing in their own warehouse. So they knew the workers there. Uh, they had like a home field advantage where this was a separate warehouse. So 
they could go up there. I think Christian and uh, organizers went up there a few times, but you're not there full time to organize. So it has to come um, from within there. Like you have yeah. to get enough of the people there on board that it becomes their like project. That's how you start changing the minds when it's coming from within. Yeah. And it also a while. I'd also say, I mean, you, we've all spoke quite often about um, independent media. We need more coverage uh, of these union races before they happen. I mean, I, I try. I, I drove up there. I covered a rally there, uh, interviewed the workers. But, um, you know, a lot of these workers are, I, I wouldn't say like very, very young, but a lot of them are on Twitter, TikTok. One of the things that was very successful about uh, Christian and the Staten Island workers campaign is they use digital media really well. And they, uh, TikTok videos and videos inside the warehouse were getting out there showing union busting and uh, bad things happening. And that gets around and then workers who might not know about the union or might be on the fence about the union, they're seeing this on the platforms they're on. Whereas with this, I mean, I don't know of any other outlet that was covering the fact that Albany had a, had an election coming up, had any workers on, um, without that kind of exposure, you're not going to get that enough traction for the workers that might be on the fence in the warehouse to see stuff on digital media. Well, it would also be nice if we had an executive branch that gave a crap about labor. Yes. And maybe, maybe, and this is crazy, use their platform to do something about it. I'm just throwing that out there. I know it's crazy talk. Like, what if we had an executive branch that actually, you know, and a department of labor that actually did something. Just throwing that out. I agree. I mean, <laughs> I, sh I show a chart on my show all the time. I mean, you look at the income inequality chart, you know, that chart uh, with all the all the money on the red line going to the top. It goes hand in hand with the decline in union membership in this country. It's not a coincidence. That is really uh, there's a lot of reasons why we live, you know, kind of in an economic gilded age. But that that ranks high up there. Uh, and essentially, you know, I mean, even the PRO Act would only go so far. We can't even get we can't even get Biden while clearly this inflation, I would say over half of it is due to companies just in gouging. price gouging. Yeah. I mean, he could have pulled subsidies from the fossil fuel industry. That's 15 billion dollars a year. They could have pushed to make stock buybacks illegal. Uh, if you are making a certain amount of profit margin, uh, there's a lot of things they can do, of course, you know, he could have taken executive action. It might not be the PRO Act, but some executive action uh, to make it easier to organize this and that. Uh, you don't see Joe Biden or any of his surrogates out at these warehouses. I got to give her credit. I don't know if she meant, you know, maybe it was just a photo op, but Kirsten Gillibrand was at the rally I was at. Uh, huh. Obviously, she doesn't have a strong track record of being a friend of the workers, but at least she was there. Um, so, yeah, we don't have an executive uh, office. And you want to know something? Forget like whether there pr would principally be uh, principally be for labor, but it would actually help them win elections because you're seeing in polls uh, uh, support for unions rising in this country uh, to really, really high levels. So it it, it would help if uh, Biden, the Democratic Party, responded to these kind of things. And by the way, we haven't even gotten to Staten Island where they won their union election. Amazon still hasn't uh, um, recognized it. So they're not even close to collectively bargaining because well, they won't. Nobody's ever accused the Democratic Party of being politically savvy, right? right. Like they, they're the whole thing well, no. part of the it's, chat with the letter from the Progressive Caucus and the timing of that. Like if there's a way for them to do worse, that's right. 
strategy. Well, this isn't this is an issue of uh, this is not an issue of savvy. This is an issue of corruption. Uh, they're not going to push these things because at the same time, uh, the very corporations that do not want a labor movement, do not want a rise in unions are the ones that they're begging for money uh, from. So, I mean, that's 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 the deal. When would they be able to try to form a union again? I don't know if it's like if there's like a specific protocol as far as timing or anything like that. But if they wanted to try again, when would that happen? Well, I should say, I, sorry if I uh, did not say this, uh, Amazon Labor Union is contesting the election, uh, which happened also, if you remember, uh, Bessemer, Alabama. Uh, they had contested the results saying that Amazon broke the law. Uh, the National Labor Relations Board granted them a second election, which they lost. Uh, so they technically here could get a second election if National Labor Relations Board uh, finds that Amazon did violate labor laws. So that you know, could happen it, it, uh, with Bessemer. I think it happened within a few months that the National Labor Relations Board approved it again. Uh, and if they are granted a second election, I mean, 200 votes is a lot, but it can't, you know, with with enough uh, runway, they might be able to win a second go around um, it without without that. Uh, you know, it's it's again, you have to organize more. I don't technically know the rules if the, the first go around, you have to get uh, you have to show the National Labor Relations Board at least 30 percent of the warehouse uh, is interested in holding a unit election. So there might be a higher threshold. I could check that. But I think to get it again, it would be the same thing. You have to go back and show 30 uh, percent interest for interest. I should say only 66 percent of the warehouse workers voted in this election. So there's, you know, over 30 percent did not vote. Um, you know, that could be you know, some of them might be seasonal workers, part-time workers, but there's a good chunk of people that didn't vote. So obviously if they have a do-over, uh, the organizers will be targeting people who didn't vote. You know, I listened the other day when you spoke with uh, Mr. Grumbine regarding this problem with the ability to get the message out there about these things that are really important. Just the idea that $1.1 trillion in stock buybacks by these mega corporations, which would be the biggest in history since it was implemented under Reagan in 82. Um, it shouldn't even be legal, but I think it directly relates to the issue with collective bargaining with the attempts of unionization at any of these companies. Because if these workers are able to unionize, it hurts the bottom line of these corporate investors. That's what this is all about. This is a give and take. And as far as you know, the oligarchic approach to economics in this country goes, you can never have enough. There's always more. And there's always more people that can get sick and die for the purpose of profiting more. And that is the break within the system. The problem is, is that the message is just not getting out there. And the uh, person that we will not mention, who's actually down here in Miami this evening, we couldn't win and seen him uh, do his live stand-up show. because I am different. very excited, though. Michael Rappaport's going to be down here next month. I'm very excited Go about see that. Mikey. I love him. That'll be fun. Okay. Uh, I he's, he's great. And, and aside from, you know, the obvious attempts of just, you know, so many people doing the same thing, which is just clickbaiting and, you know, not really, like you said, this like the whole concept of the online left. You don't actually get off the computer. You don't actually get off of Twitter. You're not actually out there making this impact. Um, have you had responses from anybody? Has anybody actually responded to you saying, oh, you know, I'd really like to cover this, but, you know, I can't actually do it. Um, so what's that been like, um, you know, trying to get other people to really pay attention to the importance of these types of stories, which if you're looking to build a movement to combat corporate interests on Capitol Hill, this is how it's done. Nope. 
uh, other than Breaking Points, which uh, fortunately I have a partnership with. So uh, they featured uh, some of my reporting up at the warehouse and interviews uh, with some of the workers. But other than them, no. I mean, honestly, at this point, I, I got to be on. I mean, uh, I've talked to you, Peter, about this before, but I mean, I'm lucky if people retweet some of these uh, interviews I do or uh, rallies I cover. It's it's remarkable. And, you know, I really think at the end of the day, um, the left is so fractured because the left, a lot of the left lives online and most of the high profile left hosts, um, they, they don't seem to want to cover the only place where there is some momentum in left politics. I mean, that's the crazy part. If you and look at it. We're concerned with the political left. What we're right. talking about is the actual left, the economic, the left. economic left. And right. so when you look at that group, there's plenty of Republicans in that group. When you go to you know this, if you're at a labor rally, there's people that voted for Bernie. There's people that voted for Trump. And so when we say the left, we're talking about the media left and our partisan left, not the actual left. Because right. labor in general is the actual left. And it's very frustrating that people that claim to be the left don't cover the actual left because right. they're caught up in whatever stupid crap they're caught up in. And I will also bring up, and I will not say who it is and I will not say who the representative is, but somebody who's very high up in D.C. who I was able to speak with basically said the left is completely fractured. There are too many of these uh, there's too much individualism on the left, which is so ironic because, as Jen always likes to point out, the idea of economic leftism is collectivism, being able yes. to have universal health care, living wage. Socialism a, a, is the left. It, yes. Well, I, I, I see it as a hybrid system. You, you, you can't have social you can't have capitalism without socialism. No, but left is and vice collectivism. Versa. Correct. Well, that's yes, that's point. what I'm saying. And so the idea that you're not even able amongst even those people that are on the left on Capitol Hill, if you even want to call it that, are able to get together and form a cohesive message, which, again, I think is a perfect transition to what transpired in the last, <clears throat> well, what would be 48 hours, what initially looked like an actual stand being taken principally by the left on Capitol Hill in 24 hours, literally did an about face in the worst possible way, because it already looks like without question, the Democrats are going to lose the House. And now they very likely are going to lose the Senate as well. And this is perfectly setting things up for the corporate establishment to blame the Democratic left for losing the midterms to the GOP. It's like this could not have worked out more perfectly for Pelosi and, and, and company they love in, in that. terms of being able to blame the squad and Bernie and everyone for effing this up. But you know what? It, it's it, it sucks that it's that way. But maybe the bottom has to fall out because whether you like it or not, people will respect those that at least stand on principle. They couldn't stand on principle for one effing day. They did an about face so effing fast, it proves everybody right about how feckless the left Jordan, is. Jordan, did country. you read the original letter? Yeah. <clears throat> okay. So the fact that that was worthy of backtracking, I still can't figure out what in it was so incendiary and controversial. The premise for people who don't know, is that the Congressional Progressive Caucus sent a letter to Joe Biden asking that because we're giving a substantial sum of money to Ukraine, that he should pursue all these diplomatic options first. They dared to suggest that. And then they backtracked from something that to me isn't even controversial. So I don't understand any of this. Do you, what's your take? Well, first, I think we should point out 
this trend of their them sending letters uh, to Biden. Strongly, I mean, strongly, strongly worded letters. So, so <laughs> like, you know, whatever, whatever you think about him, he's the president. You know, they have to treat him with whatever the reverence the president gets. But it's not like Pramila Jayapal can't tell her staffer, "Hey, call CNN. I want to go on and and get this message out." Right. So, no. like, the fact that they keep sending letters asking kindly, can you, you know, please uh, go. It, that in itself is laughable and pathetic. Uh, but yeah, I mean, listen, we have to go back to the end of last year. Uh, Pramila Jayapal, uh, Ro Khanna, to their credit, they they held fast on the bipartisan infrastructure deal for several months. Um, so did the squad. And they were, you know, uh, the Jimmy Dore, oh, excuse me, the, 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 the uh, you know, so-called uh, leftists weren't giving them credit for it, but I was because they were they were actually using their power. Then Terry McAuliffe, uh, if you remember, when he lost the uh, Virginia governor's race, somehow the narrative was blaming like the progressives for that because they didn't pass the bipartisan infrastructure deal because somehow not having that uh, shit sandwich was why McAuliffe lost. With that, with that, uh, you know, rising pressure on them and heat on them. She folded like a cheap tent. Um, she said, I'm going to take, I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, what did she say? I'm going to um, believe uh, the president's word that he will deliver Manchin's vote on Bill Back Better, which at the time was supposed to be closer to the three trillion. And they voted for the bipartisan infrastructure deal without uh, the, um, the Bill Back Better with it. So we already have this pattern of when, you know, when the media and the Democratic leadership starts encircling them, she folds. But this, what was so egregious about this is she was like the letter actually said, yeah, we're we're for, you know, send more send more weapons. We're down with that. We're just asking for uh, United States to just approach Russia to maybe try uh, and to fold like that, because, again, it's it's psychological warfare and actual leaders with steel like Ashama Sawant would not buckle. But the Democratic Party and the leadership, they, you know, were probably circling uh, Jayapal in those 24 hours like sharks. Uh, you're going to you're going to cost us the midterms. You're going to give uh, the House and the Senate to the Republicans, even though normal people. No, I, no it's actually, the it's the opposite. <laughs> right. Sending the letter, you might actually get people to vote for right. the Democrats. That and right. it's, it's so clear that the reason they sent the letter is because they know what the internal polling is saying. People don't want this BS anymore. They don't want. But you us know to what's the worst? Wars. The worst part of it all to me is that she threw her staff under the bus. Oh God, that was so. That disgusts me. <laughs> like, I well, first of all, I mean, obviously, we know she was lying, but it. Let's let's for argument's sake say uh, you take her at face value that this wasn't vetted, then she should resign anyway because you're the head of the progressive caucus yeah. and thirty whatever it was thirty people signed this and you didn't know about it. I mean that's incompetence anyway. But at the heart of it, you know, to me, listen, I'm not like these again leftists who seem to have an allergy to saying anything negative about Russia or Putin and somehow like to pretend that Ukraine invaded itself. Uh, I think, I think this is a, I think this is a nuanced thing. I, I'm not, I don't understand these people who are like, you're either team Russia or team Ukraine. No, I mean, Putin and Russia had have legitimate concerns. I mean, NATO is on their doorstep. It was, 
they there were promises made. To me, that doesn't like give them the green light to go invade Ukraine and kill all these innocent people. But with that said, at a certain point, you know, I do feel for the people of Ukraine. Uh, I, 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 you know, I'm totally for you know as much humanitarian aid as we can uh, give and you know coordinating intelligence. But if you're if you're just going to continue to grease the skids of the military industrial complex, continue sending more weapons without any uh, diplomacy to go along with that, then this is going to be a boondoggle that goes on for years. And at a certain point, it's clear this is not to defend Ukraine as much as it is to have a coup in Russia and remove Putin. I'd love to see Putin removed. I mean, he is a brutal dictator. I think he's committed war crimes. These so-called leftists who, you know, push out propaganda that, oh, no, uh, Ukraine bombed its own mall. Uh, Russia isn't targeting uh, innocent civilians. That's bullshit. They are. Um, but at a certain point, I mean, if the United States is not even going to pretend uh, to, uh, you know, kind of initiate diplomacy, then I got a problem when the people of Flint are, are still begging for clean water after eight and a half years. I got a problem when, you know, uh, you if you travel around as much as I have, you guys have traveled a little. Some of these roads are not drivable around the country. Uh, I have a problem when Jackson's water is still fucked up. I have a problem when, you know, I just went on a reporting tour a few months ago. People are literally scavenging in their couches to find change to fill up their gas. But at the same time, we're sending billions of dollars every week to Ukraine. Uh, again, I'm not, I'm not on principle, I'm not against supporting them, but you can't have a blank check to any country uh, if you're not going to try and end the war. That's always my thing. And this is something that parents will relate to. All right. When someone is on your payroll, you get a say so. That's how it works. If you control the checkbook, you get a say so. So the fact that our Congress is asking very nicely, dear Mr. President, would you please maybe consider diplomatic options before we just give money into the war complex? And that somehow required a retraction is one of the most pathetic things. They should all be ashamed of themselves. Like, that's just ridiculous. They have no, they're just so cowardly. And how easy do you want to make it? I mean, listen, if you're getting outflanked by Thomas Massey, you really need to reconsider your strategy because it's not working. And why they're so afraid. I just, uh, I understand that once they get in and they believe that they can really make a difference they also get very caught up in the life. It's obvious some of them in particular really did. Uh, you have to ask yourself, you know, why are you there? Like, what's the point? If you're not going to stand up for something, you know. If you're just there to protect your seat, what are you doing that for? And there are several of them that are safe. I mean, AOC in particular, her, safe, her seat is about as safe as it gets. So why do you not make a stand? I don't understand any of it. You know, I think that, uh, again, it's not popular on, on the Internet to be nuanced. Uh, I never really got into the whole fraud squad thing because I'm not 12. But I do think that um, AOC, there seems to be a pattern, really, of magazine covers and uh, interviews with, you know, CNN and MSNBC. She just did an interview with uh, Pod Save America, which are a bunch of Obama bros. Yeah. And I'm, I'm not on principle – against. Um, it's the same issue I have. I don't have an issue if you go on Tucker Carlson as a leftist. I have an issue if you go on Tucker Carlson as a leftist and you go like this. Yes, Tucker. Yes, Tucker. You're great, Tucker. 
and don't actually challenge any of his lies and white supremacy. There's a way to do it uh, in a way that, you know, is uh, tactful. Uh, I don't have a problem with AOC going on more corporate neoliberal uh, media, but if you're not going to actually, I don't know, push the actual progressive message, uh, call out their bullshit at all, then it's useless. And it, it's the same thing. Uh, you know, you were in Cleveland the second go around. They didn't endorse Nina Turner because they were threatened by the Democratic establishment, the squad, that if you th- uh, endorse Nina Turner, uh, you know, we're coming after you uh, with all the super facts and everything uh, for your primaries. I know that affected Cori Bush, Rashida Tlaib and others. Uh, I don't think Nina would have won anyway. But at the end of the day, these are people who in large part started as activists and were pretty, in the case of Cori Bush and some others, were, were pretty badass pretty like guerrilla activists that have been neutered. Uh, It doesn't mean they're terrible people. Uh, What it does mean is it's not enough for all of us to just share the same policy values. Uh, If we don't actually share the same willingness to fight for it. Yeah. uh, If you don't share, like Shama Sawant uh, said something to me a while ago that really made a lot of sense. If you are not, if you are not hated, then you're not doing it right. Correct. Uh, if, if you are not hated in D.C. or if you're not hated in your local uh, whatever, in her case, Seattle, by uh, the establishment and the media, then you're not doing it right. And it takes a certain kind of person to have that kind of thick skin. Um, and I think that, unfortunately, um, these progressives, they might genuinely uh, care for Medicare for all. Uh, they might genuinely uh, care for some of the policies we care for. But I don't see I don't think they realize in their mind, I think that they are not going uh, aggressively hard at the Democratic establishment at Biden because they see the rising threat of fascism in America and they feel we need to focus on the Republicans right now. I think there is a rising threat of fascism. The only problem is part of why there's a rising threat of fascism is because there's no opposition. Yeah, right. it's neoliberalism. Well, you it's cannot fight the right from the center. It doesn't work. And they keep doing it. And in Florida, they are going to fail gloriously. This this Uh, it's going to be a glorious loss. Let me tell you something. I'm I'm, right now. DeSantis is probably going to win by double digits. That's like. No, no. I didn't didn't do anything. Oh, my. what did I say? Didn't we bet on that a while ago? What did I say? I say over 10. He says under 10. 10. I I call 12. He says under 10. I think it's going to be huge. The day of the, the day of the debate, the uh, the RRR, is it RPI, is that whatever? The, the average of polls had DeSantis yeah. at a plus 10. And today, the latest poll says that DeSantis' uh, lead is wide. Here's what so, I know. We canvass all the time. We are, and not only do we canvass, and I want people to understand this, I don't need polls. We're out on the streets in the bluest county in the state of Florida is where we canvass. We canvass neighborhoods. We canvass businesses. We go to events. We talk to people. We talk to so many people. I have not yet met a Charlie Crist supporter other than someone voting for him because they don't like DeSantis. We meet DeSantis supporters all the time. I haven't seen a single Charlie Crist yard sign. Not one. Not one. In, blue in, a blue, in a blue area, yeah. In the bluest county in the state, I have not seen one Charlie Chris lawn sign. Like you see the big signs, but not one lawn sign. And DeSantis ones all over the place. 
because Charlie Chris doesn't have fans or supporters. He has people that are voting against DeSantis. He doesn't have supporters. DeSantis actually has supporters. And there are a lot of people that won't say it out loud. And I've met Democrats at Dem Club meetings, lifelong Dems that support DeSantis over Chris. It's going to be brutal. Based on, based on what? I know Chris is terrible. But why do they support DeSantis? Well, there's a couple of reasons. Um, the first reason is when it just comes to natural instincts, people gravitate to leaders that want to kick ass and take names. They ask questions later about whether or not the policy is actually good for them. But there's a lot of people in the state who feel like this governor is standing up for them. That's what they think. Um, and on civil liberties, on civil liberties, yeah. Yeah. he is. And again, not a fan, but uh, Charlie Chris, I don't I don't like chameleons. At least with DeSantis, you know where he stands. And by the way, he's the reason that FPNL didn't screw us on net metering. He's the one who vetoed that and bill. That he's bill, the one who's been helping us with Everglades and that, restoration. And that bill should have never gotten to DeSantis's desk because, again, the Democrats can't get their act together. As far as I'm concerned, it's deliberate sabotage. There were three GOP state senators who voted no on the net metering bill, but there just happened to be three state Democratic senators that managed to vote yes. And somehow that got to DeSantis's desk he and he vetoed it, which gave him another political win that he didn't need. And that was all the Democrats because they can't get their own effing party. I'll tell you what, Charlie Crist wouldn't stand up to Florida power and light. Mm. He wouldn't. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to I can't challenge you, obviously, on Florida politics. I don't know enough. But what I do Republican governor and he wasn't that great. No, what I I do. What I do know. What I do know is if you had an economic populist, uh, let's say a Fetterman without without the stroke. Yeah, I I think uh, I think an economic populist could actually be competitive with DeSantis. And I'll tell you why. First of all, if you looked at that debate, he's super awkward when he's when he's not around friendly media. He's not ready for prime time. He looks super awkward. He's very bizarre, you know, and he's weird. Secondly, um, Florida property insurance is a disaster. Oh, yeah. uh, Florida's inflation is above the uh, above the national a- average. There is economic issues in Florida, and DeSantis is you know kissing ass of corporations when he's not you know challenging Disney. Uh, what is he giving six hundred million dollars in tax cuts? So I think an economic populist uh, with a message of uh, if I if I if I'm governor, uh, here's what we're going to do to take on these corporate price gougers here in Florida. When I'm governor, uh, you know, healthcare is one of the uh, the most the fastest growing uh, inflation metrics. Uh, we're going to push for single payer healthcare in Florida. I mean, I can go down the list. Uh, yeah. DeSantis, a big one too. Here. Yeah, De- is a big one. Yeah, DeSantis might win, but it would be a lot closer. But Christ is basically run. I mean, his messages are saving democracy, which that's nice. But Pro- that's th- all he's got is the Roe v. Wade and the increase. The in message is not strong. The ground game he's is pitiful. basically non-existent. This is all it's just been. But again, this stems from the fact that the Democratic Party in this state, as it is in a lot of other places, is just completely feckless. And it starts at the top with Wasserman Schultz. She is the reason why you have Manny Diaz as the state chair. She is the reason why, you know, again, all the money gets raised but never goes into the proper places. The way that the way that Val Demings has gotten all of the money 
which of course is the wrong race because the Senate race never is the top race. It's always the governor's race. So whichever way the governor's race is going to go, it doesn't matter how bad Rubio is. Rubio, like he will always do, just hide in the corner and not, He's not, try, not to be, try not to be seen. So that way DeSantis can carry the day. And over and over and over again, you see Val Demings' ads all over the TV. And yet you have these down ballot races one in particular that's not that far from here, this gentleman named Gabriel Gonzalez, who's running in Miami, and he has a real chance to win that seat and yeah. flip it. And the Democratic Party is doing absolutely nothing to help him. Zero to help this case. They have no strategy, but I don't think they want to win. The people at the top don't want to win. If you want to win against Republicans, you don't bring in Republicans. You bring in left populists. That's the whole point. They're putting up people like... Michael Bloomberg bought our state party. I mean, you have to really, and, and Bloomberg is the one who has the relationship with Wasserman Schultz. But Jordan, you really have to ask yourself, how much of this is deliberate? Like how much of this is deliberate self-sabotage? Because in reality, they're two sides of the same coin. And the Democrats believe in their mind, since they're going to lose anyway, let's lose spectacularly. And then we'll be able to fundraise off of this saying that fascism really is here. And you got to vote for us. you got to give us money. Uh, because the presidential election's coming up in 24 and you got to blah, 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 blah. I mean, to me, it's the same story over and over again. And yet we always seem to stay on the same track without a change. On the national level, I think that is what's going on. But the truth is, I got to be honest with you, and this this perspective comes from traveling and cover, covering a lot of this. They're not they're not wrong. Uh, I think they're I think they're um, they're crowing about fascism. I think they're more doing that for political reasons, but there is, there certainly is an authoritarian fascist rise in this country. Uh, mm -hmm. You have people like Marjorie Taylor Greene going around saying the killings have begun. Democrats are coming to kill you. Uh, you have Trump Jeez. putting out like fatwas on Mitch McConnell uh, with, you know, all cap death wishes. Uh, political violence is on the rise. Anti-Semitism is on the rise. Uh, I don't think that's really a political message to win. Uh, I think the Democrats, I think you're right, uh, would be using that, uh, you know, if they lose when they lose the House, possibly the Senate uh, vote like your lives are on the line in 2024, because if Trump gets back in there or DeSantis gets back in there, uh, fat, you know, democracy will be gone, um, which I think they would lose running on that because, you know, they need to actually run. What are you for? But the truth is, uh, I, I do, you know, I, I avoided when Trump was president, you know, using the F word, Hitler comparisons, any of that stuff. Um, but just in the last year or two, I really see uh, the country is really a powder keg. Uh, I think political violence. Um, I think it, I think I think Trump's going to be prosecuted over these classified documents. I think it's going to usher in uh, a real string of political violence. I think you have politicians no longer winking and nodding at um, suggestions of violence, but just saying it. Um, so I do think we're in really dangerous territory. Uh, and at the same time, people are really economically fucked. I mean, nobody believes that this is a historic economic recovery. Uh, I don't even think the CNN anchors who's, who say it or, you know, so oh, low unemployment. Nobody actually believes that if you go out and just talk to people like I have, I mean, people were hurting before this round of inflation. Oh, don't you think that that just enrages independent minded people even more when they come out and say, oh, yeah, everything's fine. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think uh, at the end of the day, 
you know, you can't blame people who are really hurting uh, economically, might have fears about being displaced, not having enough money for rent, falling behind on the mortgage, having to make tough choices in terms of groceries versus medicine. If, you know, the sanctity of democracy is not the first thing on their mind um, that that to have that to have that comfort, that's a luxury for that to be your top concern. That's more if you're a suburban person who's doing fine, you might have the luxury of worrying about democracy and fascism. But for most people, you're worried about bread and, you know, table uh, table issues. And the truth is, uh, whether they actually mean it or not, the Democratic Party could have done some very simple things to be winning right now. I'll give you one. Biden, using the bully pulpit of the presidency, could have went on a fucking crusade against Joe Manchin yeah. over over the child tax credit. Um, the child tax credit, it's not my preferred uh, policy. Uh, I, I would be more for like a UBI or something like that. But the child tax credit, once that was put in, Biden's approval rating went way up. Democratic's, Democratic Party's approval rating went back up. Because shocker, when you give people money to help them, particularly uh, working class people, poor people, they tend to want more of you, uh, of that policy. Uh, but when when Manchin blocked extending it, Biden just, fold, you know, like went out like a candle in the wind. He didn't fight him on it. He didn't pressure him. He didn't shame him. I think if he did all those things, there was a shot that that would have been extended. There was a shot that that would have been extended for another year. And if you if that was extended for another year, I promise you the polls uh, in terms of who do you trust on the economy would look a little different. And that's just one thing he could have done. Uh, there's a lot of other things he could have done. I already talked about. We give $15 billion a year to these fossil fuckers and free money. JFK, when the steel companies were price fixing, he threatened them publicly and said, oh, I'm pulling these submarine contracts uh, from U.S. Steel and others. I'm going to give the contracts <clears throat> to companies that aren't uh, price fixing. They folded in days and lowered their prices. So, you know, devil's advocate might say, oh, Jordan, these oil, these fossil fuel companies, they don't care. They they would they wouldn't have done it. I don't know if you're dangling it, it. They're looking at the long game, too, if. If they're going to if they're going to lose 15 billion dollars a year as an industry, yeah, they might lower prices by 75 cents to a dollar. Uh, that would be a big political winner. He's not going to do that. I'll tell you why. We live in the United Corporations of America. Wall Street is the biggest investor of the fossil fuel industry. And Wall Street is the biggest donor to the Democratic, the Democratic Party. Party. And there yeah. and that is the perfect transition because everyone is looking in all these different directions as to what the root cause is of all of these problems that exist on Capitol Hill. Why Biden has essentially been a borderline failure of a president. It's because our government is captured by corporate special interests. This isn't complicated. No. It's just painfully obvious that when you find your scapegoat, whether it is a mansion or a cinema, there will always be one. So long as it does not affect the bottom line of corporate special interests at the behest of the needs of workers. However, can we just please promote this? Because it's very apropos. So guys, in that vein, <clears throat> as you all know, we are coming out early with our endorsement for 2024. We vote for Manchin and the Parliamentarian. <laughs> um, that's the ticket we, we support in 24 because who's more powerful? If Joe Manchin Apparently, is more yeah. powerful than the president because the president can't get anything past him, 
that's who we should vote for, people. So just saying, think about can you, it. Uh, can can you mail me? Can you mail me some of those? I want to put it up there. Do you yeah. like it? I'll send you one. Yeah, yeah. One. I, I, this is what yeah, happens when I'm at, at alone at night in my little room playing with Canva. And what? Well, I, I hope on medicine too. Well, I, I think right now it's it, it's just again, it's not looking good. And even when, and this is again one of the bigger reasons why I can't stand Biden is because he acts like he's doing something good. And then you find out after the fact it was as milquetoast as it could possibly be, whether it was on the very tepid, limited amount of student loan debt cancellation that he did, or it was regarding uh, restoring uh, economic rights, if you want to call it that, to those who are incarcerated uh, via use of cannabis. You know, that type of thing to me, uh, when you read the fine print, you realize much like when the progressives put forward a letter suggesting doing something and then pulling it back the very next day, it's even worse when you try to give somebody a little something and then it turns out you didn't really give them anything at all. You're just insulting them. And I think enough people have been insulted by this by this government. I still think that's Trump's biggest appeal. No matter how bad he is, people hate D.C. even more. And that's why I think for millions of people, they just see Trump as he always was back in 2015, 2016, a Molotov cocktail to this system that people are just done with at this point. That's what I think. Yeah, uh, I think um, Trump, I think Trump, if he ran again, uh, possibly would lose um, again, even if it was Biden. I think it would be really close. Uh, uh, but, you know, you never know. I, I don't really see this inflation really changing that much uh, in a year and a half because the main thing that's driving it is these corporations. It's not, you know, the supply chain is not as bad as it was two years ago. And we've already talked about and established Biden is not going to do anything about these corporations price gouging. Um, I, you know, I think it would be a sad state of a, a really sad state of affairs for this country, worse position than we're already in if it was a rematch between these two senile assholes. Uh, but I, I, you know, I, I, things are not good right now uh, in terms of where the country's going. And I think that it's either neoliberalism or whatever the hell the new uh, MAGA, I think fascism. Uh, and I don't, I don't want either of those things uh, because <laughs> the neoliberalism is allowing the fascism and yeah. meanwhile, meanwhile, for the progressive movement, uh, I think we've taken our eyes off the ball. Uh, yeah, we are where we are with the elected progressives. They've they've shown what they are and are not willing to do. Uh, and the action right now is among the workers, uh, the union drives, the strikes, tenants unions are popping up. But that stuff is happening out there with not enough attention uh, and not enough um, not enough lifting of those efforts by uh, the progressive independent media. So I'm going to keep covering those things uh, because that's where the action is and that's where the victories are are happening. And, you know, Colinello, who's a very, very good supporter <laughs> of the show, mentioned earlier, is this about bad timing? No, actually, as I'm sure you would agree, the best time to try to do something bold is right around election time, because then you really got them caught in a rock and a hard place, not just because they should have definitely made a stand regarding Ukraine. But this is really the time when the railroad workers should be striking. They should be striking right at this moment when they know that 
the Democrats are kind of backed into a corner. Now, they may just say the hell with it anyway, because all the numbers show that they're going to at least lose the House, which means you're having divided government for the next two years. And Biden will officially, officially now become a lame duck president. So that may be true. But that's his what, dream. But well, to not have to do anything. Oh, that's the dream job for all of those Democrats is to be lame duck Democrats. They love And just that. blame the Republicans. And I can't get we can't get anything done. But with that said, if there is an opportunity for labor, it's at a moment like this right now. So when labor workers, especially the railroad workers, are concerned about, well, you know, maybe we'll do something after the election. What's the point? Do it right now when you have leverage. That, to me, would make the most sense. Shout out to UPS and FedEx workers. You guys all need to be going on strike. Oh, my God. Well, you know how that works. Biden met with the railroad uh, union Mm -hmm. bosses, uh, gave them some empty promises that if you, uh, you know, if we could hold this off till after the midterms, I'll do X for you. Uh, and X never seems to happen or it happens, but it's really Y and Z and not what was promised. So, yeah, I think there's a possibility, by the way, of a railroad strike in the next few months. Another uh, one of the big railroad unions uh, voted against uh, the tentative agreement today. So, yeah. As they should. Yeah, we had Max Alvarez on. Um, and who was the woman? I forget who she was. Uh, name, name is slipping me right To now. talk about this. And and yeah. people don't realize it's more than one union. There's multiple unions when we say we say. Oh, yeah, unions, there's there's 12, 12 right. of them. Yeah. So a couple of them might be on board with whatever the administration is proposing. But that does not that does not negate the possibility of a strike from yeah. the other one. And people and I, don't realize that. And I also think it brings the conversation full circle because the railroad workers in many ways is emblematic of the failures of labor in this country over the past several decades. <laughs> Since the height of the what you would consider railroad workers in this country, they've lost about 80% of their staff. And we've only grown all the more exponentially. They're working ridiculous conditions. It's not a money thing also. I mean, I'm sure there is a money factor, but the biggest issue with the railroad workers is conditions. Um, Hours, the conditions, like that stuff. So people don't realize, they might look at that like, well, they get paid okay. I'm like, that's not the point. Just because somebody gets paid okay doesn't mean it's okay to treat them like crap. You know, that that those things are not mutually exclusive. Last question before you go. Uh, If there was to be, I mean, right now, again, we're just staring down Right now, we are staring down a Trump or DeSantis presidency in 24. But if there was somebody who did run as a progressive populist, whatever you want to call it. Who? uh, Not even even so much who, but how much do you think that that candidate would benefit if they basically just ran an economic populist message specifically on labor? Like, I, to me, less is more. Andrew Yang carved a niche for himself just basically by running on UBI. And he did become a pretty well-known commodity. Now, you could argue he didn't make the best decisions, obviously, but he did become pretty well-known for that. And if somebody were to run, almost like saying, we're going to create the biggest labor movement this country has seen in multiple generations, like, do you think that could potentially have an impact if somebody does step up to the plate, you know, after the midterms? If a candidate steps up to the plate? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think if I think if a candidate steps up to the race and um, makes labor, I mean, basically point A, B and C uh, is at the picket lines with the John Deere workers or whomever is out there. uh, Is that the union drives? Uh, Yeah, I I absolutely think uh, that could tap into both uh, Democrats 
uh, and Republican voters, because like we've said, it goes both ways uh, among workers. Some of them voted for Trump. Some of them voted uh, for Biden. A lot of them didn't vote. Um, I think uh, whoever runs, uh, hopefully uh, there's a progressive challenger, uh, whether it's to Biden or uh, Harris. Um, I think if they make labor uh, and forget labor for a second, just the worker, the working workers revolting now yeah. uh, and attach themselves to that and actually say, I think specifically, if somebody runs and says, uh, when I am elected, here are the 20 executive actions I'm going to take. And here is my plan for when they are challenged in court. And here is the basis on why I think we could win uh, on X, Y, and Z. Specifics. Um, and say, I'm, I'm not going to bother with the delusion of working with this Congress because Congress hasn't worked for 30 years in this country. Right. Um, I think that could be very popular because at this point, people want someone to actually deliver on the bold promises they're making, not the milk toast promises, the bold promises. And if you could have, uh, in most cases, I wouldn't suggest like a 20 point plan, but if you can make it very simple yes. and here's how we're going to get it done. And on day one, here's what I'm going to do. Uh, I, I mean, they would be castigated as, oh, you know, not working through the system and, you know, going around Congress. Good. I think that would be very popular, actually. Uh, who, who, who would it be? I don't know. Uh, right now, the, the bench is kind of thin uh, on the progressive left. But if somebody yeah. runs that way, I think it could be very popular. I think that's the biggest problem is that they really don't have anybody because the Democrats don't truly support labor anymore. So it isn't their de- That's not what they're about. They're clearly not about that. So who of them would actually support labor? And that really is the conundrum we're stuck with. At this we point. don't have a labor We really have to talk have about party. it at, you know, at a later date. But the GOP has really done an amazing job of bringing in these disaffected workers, even though they do nothing for them. They pay them the type of lip service that convinces them, well, they're actually looking out for my interests. It is very interesting how you can see a lot of these supporters going against that, that are in the Republican Party now and going against Mitch McConnell. Like there is sort of this different attitude that exists. But to me, I, I just feel like workers in this country are lost. They don't know who is on their side. They don't know who they could ever trust that is going to support them. And so they're just desperate. And I definitely, definitely agree that we're not in a good situation, but somebody who would step up and basically run an unabashed pro-labor anti-corporate campaign for president, it could be a no-name person and they would probably catch some fire. And, that's and I think they need to use the C word too. I think they need to use the C word. One of Bernie's biggest mistakes was when Zephyr Teachout wrote an op-ed calling Joe Biden corrupt. Yep. He shut that down and made them uh, recant it. We need somebody to call out the Democratic Party and call it corrupt. Call this system corrupt. Yeah. Point out their donors. Both ways, Republicans and Democrats, you'll be excruciated, excoriated by the media. You'll be excoriated by the Democratic establishment. But you might catch fire, like Peter said, with actual voters. So yeah. it's possible. It's possible. Yep. I think I'd see a unicorn first, then a progressive. Hey, at, this point we're ca- at, this point we're hope- at this point, we're hoping for a unicorn. Jordan, it's always a pleasure. Let people know what you're working on, how they can find you, get involved. Obviously, if you guys are not currently subscribed to Status Coup, you definitely should be, because if we are ever going to have any semblance of journalism in this country, it's going to come from channels like Status Coup. So, Jordan, the floor is yours. Thank you, as always. Thank you. Um, Yeah, Status Coup on YouTube, C-O-U-P. 
you might have to search for us because YouTube doesn't make it easy. Uh, click the bell for notifications. Click all notifications. And if you appreciate living, breathing, uh, on-the-ground reporting, we actually leave the studio and cover things in the trenches, uh, support us, uh, statuscoup.com slash join. We're actually doing our monthly members call uh, with Status Coup members tomorrow. Uh, uh, it's through Zoom. So if you sign up before tomorrow night, you'll get an email with the link. Uh, take your questions, comments, concerns. It's always a good time. Uh, we usually go for an hour or two uh, tom tomorrow night. Do you, uh, so up? Do you get a good, a good response to that? Uh, yeah, sometimes we have like 60, 70 people show oh, up. Pretty good. Yeah, I yeah. tried. It just turns out to be a staff meeting between us. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, sometimes it's it's 30, it's 20 to 30, but we, we've had like 70, 80. Uh, for for a, channel, a, a channel of ours that has just under 8,000 subscribers, and we can get, we're, we're pretty good at times to get, you know, 40, 50, you know, even 60 YouTube live streamers at one time. The fact that you have over 100,000 and you're getting, you know, three, 400, you know, people, there should be three, 4,000 people watching your live stream when it's going on. Yeah. So if anyone thinks that we're not suppressed, that they don't deliberately F with the algorithm to make sure that anything related to anti-corporate narrative, pro-worker narrative isn't suppressed message, like you said, you can't even put Amazon in the description because you know it's going to get flagged. I if literally have stopped putting Amazon in the headline, Flint in the headline, Assange in the headline, because the data shows uh, when we put those uh, in the headline, uh, tanks. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. I knew that for sure. I knew that about Amazon and Assange. I knew that yeah. for sure that yeah. we get. Yeah, it hurts the algorithm. Well, keep fighting the good fight. You know, we have your back all the way. Hope all goes well with the book. We'll definitely try to get ours going. Uh, we've been working on it. But yeah, yeah I know we'll, we'll figure it out. Jordan Charlton, Status Coup. Appreciate your brother. We'll see you soon. Thanks, Jordan. Thanks. Bye bye. See you. There's craziness going on in the chat. Yeah, too, but thank you, Double K. Double K, much appreciated, brother. It really means a lot. Um, anyone who contributes to our show is obviously very, very appreciated. And of course, if you haven't already become a patron of our wonderful show, because it is a wonderful show, it's a really tremendous show, incredible show. So go to patreon.com forward slash generational change for as little as $5 a month. You can subscribe and become a paying member of our channel, which will help us get lots of more goodies for other people, like non-corporate candidates running for office, yeah. nonprofits here in South Florida that are definitely supporting the good causes that most of you support. Whether it We're like a mutual fund for, for community service. That's where the money goes. And once in a great while, Jen and I might go out to have a bite to eat. That's, Every once in a while. That's about it. Every once in a while. But if you are but supporting like, small business, though, always supporting small but if, business. But if you are, you, well, yes, 1000%. We're not going to Taco Bell or Subway. That's not happening. I'm just saying we're definitely going to the small business. With that said, if you are feeling a little bit extra generous, it would behoove you to go to the $10 limit and Get the Mansion Parliamentarian bumper sticker and you give me Jordan's address. The Lulu sticker. Look at my girl. So really, and really Lulu. So yeah, I mean, guys, all the money that comes into us for a show goes towards helping community service and non-corporate candidates. And if you are feeling extra, extra generous, twenty-five dollars a month will get you the generational change baseball jersey T-shirt. 
They're really nice, actually. Silky soft. Well, they're, we, we definitely go with the tribal end, the soft shirts. I've learned enough from campaigning for an FBI. I have enough campaign shirts. I could, like, wallpaper a room. And I've, mm. I have, I mm. yeah, I know what's good. The thick, thick ones, no bueno. Not in Florida. So we really appreciate your support. But, of course, if you are not so inclined to go to Patreon, you really don't want to have your, obviously, your credit card on file, you can do one better and go over to Cash App. See, if you go over to Cash App, you can just drop a few bucks in right now. So with that said, if you do go to Cash App, it's dollar sign, gen change, very easy. Any amount of money will obviously be very appreciated. And the last thing we have to mention, which is always the most important one of all, is our small business neighbors, $50 a month will get you a plug every single show of your small business. We will never have it crossover in terms of the specific profession. So everything will be unique unto itself. And this is our insurance agency. So if you are looking for a good quote, Apex Insurance Agency at Delray Beach, small business, home, auto, and even life insurance, they will take good care of you and you won't have to go through the big box stores to pay those extra premiums. You might find yourself getting a really good quote on health in, well, whether no, it's not health. Home, home, auto, or life. We don't prop up health We don't prop up, yeah, because it shouldn't exist. Tell them Jen and Pete sent you. Yes, please do, and you'll get a nice, I'm sure they'll <laughs> give you a nice discount. I thought it was a kicker rib. I don't even think about that. But you guys, if you have a small business, if you want us to promote, we're very happy to do so, and I'm always looking for the taco truck. If you have a taco truck, we will even do our live stream from your location. I'm just saying. Jen, if you were in office, would you have time to do these podcasts? Good friend Mario wants to know. You know, I really, I don't know that answer to that. Uh, I don't know the answer to that, but I will definitely would have a lot of time being live and communicating and putting information out so people know what's going on. Whether or not it would be these live streams and I would have time to really interview people, I don't know that. Barbara, why do you have to be such a Debbie Downer? Yeah, don't be poopy. Like, really? What's Don't be it? poopy. Why are why are you being poopy? We're, we're good people. We're we? good people. We're just trying to get the filth out. That's all we're trying to do. So we should do, we, we, we could have our reading. Yes. So we are doing a new uh, segment, I guess you would say. It's a new segment and we're doing it like a Bible reading, but it's a constitutional reading. So we're going to be reading excerpts because I figure if you guys tune in by the end of a certain amount of time, you will have read the constitution. I actually think that everybody should do that. I've read it a few times. It's there's parts of it that aren't exactly a page turner. I'll give you that. And some of it is a little obsolete. I mean, nobody really fights over the Third Amendment. I mean, there's definitely things we, well, we don't have to somebody needs, well, What if somebody needs to be quoted? I'm just I'm saying so last time we started, we started with the preamble. So if you guys are interested, you could go back to last episode and watch that. So what happens right after the preamble? We jump right into Article one, Article one, Section one. All legislative powers herein granted shall be vested in a Congress of the United States, which shall consist of a Senate and a House of Representatives. Section two, the House of Representatives shall be composed of members chosen every second year by the people of several states and the electors in each state shall have the qualifications requisite for electors of the most numerous branch of the state legislature. I am not exactly entire sure what they're referring to in that one, but it's very clear that there's a difference between that their people are elected by the people and then they also specify electors, which is not necessarily the same thing. But what's really interesting about this, and you guys will will 
see how this goes, is it's very different setup for how the House of Representatives is elected and how the Senate is elected. So one thing, and I feel like it almost makes sense for me to do that now, even though it's not in exact order, but I feel like this is important. But so guys, section three, we're going to skip over um, the rest of that for a second, but section three says in article one, the Senate of the United States shall be composed of two senators from each state, right? Chosen by the legislature thereof for six years, and each senator shall have one vote. So when the Constitution was written, the Senate wasn't voted on by the people of the states. The Senate, the senators were chosen by the state legislators. So in other words, at that point, you had, you know, let's say Massachusetts. So that state legislature then chose their two senators. We didn't get to vote on senators. So that's really interesting. I thought I would just Mm -hmm. point that out. So we're sort of out of order. But so I don't know. I think that's enough for now. Or do you want to talk a little bit about qualifications? If you want to talk about qualifications. All right. So no person shall be a representative who shall not have attained to the age of 25 years. Maxwell Frost cut in right there under the wire and been seven years a citizen of the United States, and who shall not, when elected, be an inhabitant of that state in which he shall be chosen. So you have to have been a citizen for seven years. It's not the same as president where you have to be natural born. So it's it's just a whole different scenario. But I think that's good. I think we're good. And then we'll start. We can address the direct apportionment of taxes when we come back. But I just thought that the idea that senators and representatives weren't all originally elected by the populace. And I thought that was really interesting. Pay attention because that comes up later, um, sometimes circa, I want to say 1913 or something like that when it changes. So so we'll, we'll touch on that. But I just thought that was... is changing. I think that a lot of those voters are dying off. Um, and I think this is what we have to deal with down here, guys. Yeah, this is what we have. To this deal is with. this is what we deal with here. But you know what? The time is changing. Those voters are unfortunately well, voters die off by the dozens every year. Well, I know a handful of them that have gone. This well, and let's, and, and let's be honest. First of all, anyone with all due respect, Barbara, Anyone who actually espouses this idea that Debbie is more likable than Jen. All right, look, you might say that Debbie is more familiar to voters and voters like her. But I've met thousands of people in this area. And I can assure you that Debbie is not likable. She may be likable to you. But to a very small niche of Democratic voters that vote in a primary. Correct. And that is such a small group of correct. people. The majority of people are do not at all find her likable. No. It's just a matter of they can't vote in our primary. And that's one of the ways that people like her get to sit comfortably where they are is because of closed primaries and gerrymandered districts. If the independents and the Republicans were able to vote in our primary, she would have been gone 20 years ago. And look, it's, it's one thing to, you know, again, as I've often said, uh, it's one thing to just hate Israel or hate Israeli people. It's another thing entirely to believe that Palestinians are human beings and should be treated with dignity. So if that is what constitutes an Israel, Israel basher, then I can assure you on good authority that that's what sparks anti-Semitism. So 
do yourself a favor and recognize that change is going to happen whether you want it to or not. You just want to have the right people being able to lead when that opportunity is there. And there, those people need to understand something called nuance. Yep. And when you blanketly accuse people of anti-Semitism because they're not Zionists, not only are you factually incorrect, but yes, you are stoking anti-Semitism. You are stoking that kind of uh, fire that fuels people around the world because believe it or not, Jews and Zionists are not the same. That's not the same thing. I know Jews that aren't Zionists and I know Zionists that aren't Jews. And when you conflate those two things together, all you do is fan the flames of anti-Semitism, especially in parts of the world that don't get our propagandized Western media and does see Israel as an apartheid state. We have a very narrow view here of what that is. And our representative is incapable of having a nuanced discussion. To even talk about it, she'll just throw out the term anti-Semitism at you. Like you can't even have a discussion about it. That's not the kind of representation we need. We need people that can actually have reasonable, nuanced discussions and understand that sometimes, even though it's your side, sometimes you're not right. Sometimes you need to relearn a little history. Barbara, if you want to support Debbie, go ahead. And that's your prerogative. That's fine. <laughs> this is why they'll, they'll crush me. Yeah, maybe. And you know what, Barbara, if that's the hill I die on, I'm good with that because I'm not on the moral perspective. I'm not good with it. Well, that's your prerogative. I am a Jew that has been brainwashed for most of my life um, by Zionist principles. I feel used by them. I feel very um, manipulated and it's very infuriating. And Barbara's also probably not aware of how much the district lines have changed. Well, that's fine, too. Yeah, we lost a lot of the Jews in our district, Barbara. But um, that aside, if I have to die on the hill of being a Jew that's standing up for actual Jewish values and Jewish principles and not Zionism, then that's fine. Then that's where I'm meant to be, because the reality is it's taken me a lot of years to deprogram and it is very, very difficult. It wasn't like learning Santa Claus isn't real. It's like learning he's a mass murderer. And that's what it has been for me deprogramming myself. So, no, I am not an Israel basher. I love Israel. I've spent time there. And it's very unfortunate to me that I feel this way. It's not an easy thing. And if you watched any of the series that we did or any of the show on Deconstructing Zionism, which, by the way, that series is continuing. I'm going to try to schedule the third Saturday of every month to do um, have a guest on and talk specifically about that. Because unlike some people, I find nuance important. And I think proper education on facts is important. And as Jewish people raised in the West, we were not taught proper facts, period. We were not taught about the Nakba. We were not taught that. And so making policy decisions and Debbie Wasserman Schultz having an opinion on something that's not based on actual facts is to me reprehensible, irresponsible, and unprofessional. It's like, it's like malpractice. So we're making policies based on not actual facts. How is that a good thing? And then to just call out people as anti-Semitic because they're wanting to discuss facts. That's like a child throwing a temper tantrum and holding their breath because they can't have a discussion about something. It's ridiculous. Well, you're not serious about winning if you're going to run again. If this is the if this is going to allow to become the primary topic. I, I do agree with that, because if it is the primary topic, you won't win. But. That doesn't mean that there aren't a litany of other things that are of immense importance that do matter, like being able to survive in this world, which Debbie doesn't care about, Jen does, 
and we need better representation. It's going to take time. You know, like somebody we met this evening who definitely took a shine to Jen, but I'm sure if she knew that there was anything regarding, you know, deconstruction of Zionism taking place, that would definitely, she definitely wouldn't vote for Jen, that's for sure. Yeah, but I think that that population is dwindling and our new district lines do <laughs> indicate that to some extent. And it is what it is. I'm tired of the mental gymnastics. I'm just a person and I can't, I'm not going to sit there and blow smoke up people's ass. And I find stuff. it always so interesting because Barbara said last show that she would vote for you if you ran again. I don't know about that. It doesn't really seem like you like Jen very no. much and yet you're here. So. I, well, I, I know, I don't get it. But you know what? It, it comes down to when we know better. I always feel like when I know better, I'm going to do better. You know, when I was a kid, we didn't have car seats. It just wasn't a thing. So does that mean that we shouldn't do that now when we know it's better? And I think that when we learn about things, and I think one of our strengths is Jewish people, quite honestly, and the resiliency and the strength of Jewish people is in certain moral values. And to me, one of those is education. And when we know something now and we have new information that's presented to us, we have an obligation to reevaluate a position. Um, and the fact that Jews in so many regards, like like what you're saying, are so refusing to do so. First of all, it's it's a disservice to, to Judaism. It really is. And it's quite embarrassing um, when people present you with new information and you refuse to incorporate that. That's called willful ignorance. I actually have fired a few friends for that over the past few years. It's one thing when you don't know. But when you purposefully refuse to incorporate new factual information, um, yeah, it's hard for me to respect that. So, and if that, honestly, if that's the issue for people, that's the issue. I'm, I'm, I'm who I am. It is what it is. So we don't have a schedule set up yet for the following week. We don't, I mean, I don't have anything in particular set up for Halloween. Um, that'll be interesting. Maybe we'll do like a spooktacular day of some kind. Uh, and then of course, uh, we will be doing an election day uh, coverage. I will actually speak on the Talmud at some point. Actually, I'll do better than that, Metalopoly. I'll get somebody on. I'll have a rabbi come on and talk about the Talmud. How's that? Mm. How's that? Because I actually, there is some good stuff in there. I still think we should try to get a rabbi local, but that's me. There aren't any. There aren't any. That would come? No. Not here. Mm -hmm. So we are also going to be having on Beth Lacey. Beth Macy. Macy. Sorry. Yeah, we're going to talk about dope sick, which is a very important topic regarding how big far. I don't need to go to synagogue to know you. I don't need to go to synagogue in order to be Jewish. I don't need to go to synagogue in order to understand what's right and what's wrong. I do that just fine. From uh, here. Barbara, I can assure you, Jen is very in touch with the Jewish community. <laughs> like exceptional. Oh, Barbara. You'd be, you'd be surprised. Um, pretty much you'd right in be, there. You'd also be surprised what they actually think versus... You know, it's it's funny. It's yeah. like what Hillary Clinton said. I have a public position and a private position. As much as that is disgusting to say, that's actually how a lot of people are. Not me, though. No, actually, not but me. But there's a lot Same of people person everywhere who share sentiments regarding this particular issue. Let's say, and will say one thing in public and say another thing in private. I can't play so. that game. I just can't play that game. So I say what I say. What I say. What I believe. I say what I feel. I've done a lot of soul searching on this. It's taken me very many years. I'm 51 and I'm very comfortable and resolute in my position on this right now. So unless somebody is giving me new factual information, it's not really something I want. I care to debate. Um, it just it is what it is. And I, I it's one of those things. But um, I am very in touch with Jewish people. 
um, both in my family, both in my area. I live in a very Jewish area. Like you said, I grew up in the second largest Jewish ghetto in this country. I am a second generation native Jewish Floridian. I assure you, if I played Jewish geography, you'd be amazed. Um, I am very in touch with the Jewish community, I assure you, and the Jewish Community Center and the synagogues and rabbis and all of that. Um, I have family members that have built synagogues down in here, down this area. Actually, I have a family member who built the Chabad right up the street from me. Did you know that? My cousin Jerry was one of the people that built the Chabad implantation. So I assure you, I am very well entrenched in the Jewish community. I just don't agree with their position on Zionism. So it's just fair. It's that's that's what it is. And if you think that's an all or nothing proposition, that's very unfortunate for you because Jews are not uh, we're not one person. We're not a, we're not a little microcosm of one person. There's a whole bunch of us with different opinions and different thoughts. And last night, this was very interesting. I even called Peter to tell him this. I was on a Zoom call with Jewish Voice for Peace. And Jewish Voice for Peace, if you guys aren't familiar with it, please look them up. They're really just um, a, a minute, a, a minute. No, Barbara, I won't admit that. You don't know anything about me or my mission or my politics or what I'm trying to achieve. And I feel like every campaign that I run has purpose and soul and mission and service. And to me, that is the value. And that's what I'm about. So I don't agree with that. And, you know, you are entitled to, to your opinion on that. But no, I do not agree with that. I think that I don't do anything for stunt. I do everything to further the mission of transforming politics into service and helping the least of these. That's everything I do. So if I did that to use my platform, knowing that I can't win, yeah, would I do it just to raise voices for people? Absolutely. But that's not a stunt. That's actually using a platform. It would behoove more people if they've requested their own representatives use their platforms. Why isn't our representative using her platform to fight for everyone to have health care? Why isn't she standing out on the picket lines with people that are fighting for a living wage? She's their representative. Where's she? So, you know, I think that anything I do to add a voice to the people that don't have a voice and to bring up these issues and use my platform as small as it may be. Yeah, I'm going to do it. And it's not a stunt. And it should maybe it'll give people an idea of what their representative could look like, because I haven't seen her out there fighting for anything other than herself. So I, you know, I don't know what what you think representatives are supposed to do, but I think they're supposed to represent. And um, we don't see that, So That's what we're about. And if that's the message we send, I think that's very successful. That's what I think. We hope you guys enjoyed. We're not a monolith. That was the word I'm looking for. Uh, somebody who actually wrote that. Okay, good. That's what I meant. We're not a monolith. And Ju Judaism existed long before Zionism. And Judaism will very well exist long after Zionism. And they are not the same thing. And the Zionists used us for their profit, for their agenda. And I know better now. And it's that simple. I, I love Israel. I love the people that live there. I love the land of it. But geopolitically, it's a problem. And, and people need to be willing to discuss that. We hope you guys enjoyed. We appreciate any and all support that you provide. Make sure to smash that like button, share, subscribe. Maybe, maybe, maybe go to patreon.com forward slash generational change or cash app if you are so inclined to support us. Uh, you know, it re and, and again, uh, well, I will say this, uh, what, what Metaopoly just said is a direct correlator to what I've been saying. Yeah, so it's sort of like, when, when you keep 
putting yourself. That's what it is. I know when you keep saying things, well, and the chosen people thing, by the way, I have um, a Catholic friend who very much believes that. So that isn't just that. That's a very biblical thing. So it isn't just a a Jewish thought process of being chosen. And I think that a good rabbi could interpret that in any possible way, but any sort of like we're deserving of something that no one else is deserving kind of mentality doesn't help us. It just, it doesn't help us. It's not, it's not. and And the truth is it's not based on Jewish principles. Jewish principles are standing for the oppressed. Jewish principles are fighting for justice. Like people, I think we've lost sight of what that really means to be Jewish. And at that meeting that I was on last night, Jewish Voices for Peace, there were close to 300 people on that Zoom. And it was so inspiring. And more than half of the people were easily older people. Like more than half the people on there, because I was scrolling through, it was so cool. I don't think I've ever been on a Zoom call that that big. And most, I'd say half the people were like my parents' age. And I was so, I felt so pleased to see that there were this many people that were being open to the idea that maybe we've been improperly taught. So guys, check out Jewish Voice for Peace. I'm going to start getting more and more involved with them. I've always liked the organization. Um, and I just, I think it's really important. And by the way, Jewish Voice for Peace is not just a focus on Israel issue. They also focus a lot on Native American issues, immigration issues. They are about standing up for the oppressed. And so it's for peace and for the oppressed. And, um, you know, they're they're not happy with how we're running over Ukraine. So Jewish Voice for Peace is more than just Israel-Palestine issues. I want to be clear on that. Great show. Uh, great conversation with Jordan, as always. Um, hopefully people will uh, take your message to heart, uh, whether it's Barbara or anybody else who has to understand that the real leaders, the best leaders are the ones who are willing to go against the grain. Those are the ones. If I waited until it was really popular to say that, what would that serve? Nothing. More. That's just that's just being civil. It only matters to stick up for things when it isn't popular because, and I always questioned, would I be somebody in history if I was alive during slavery, if I was alive during segregation, would I have been on the correct side of history or would I have been fearful and gotten in line with the majority? And I'll never know. I'll never know that. But this this is that to me. This is that to me. So no, I'm not going to, if if me being Jewish and being outspoken against Zionism is something that could help in any way, the long-term movement of progress and lack of oppression of Palestinians or any people, then I'm going to do that. And it's not going to be popular. And it, it, again, I, I, I understand that people find that very unsettling. I find it all very unsettling. I find it unsettling that there's an open air prison of two million people. And there was another round. Of, <laughs> I find that very unsettling. And there was another round of bombing that just happened uh, yesterday, and a bunch of kids were killed. So, you know, it's uh, it is what it is. Uh, we talked about that a lot last night on the meeting. Um, we had an update about what went on. It was in the West Bank. There was something, and you know, it's when you finally see it. You can't unsee it. Of course, just like when you can see the corruption of the system and why it is the way that it is. As Jordan Cheriton says so eloquently, we live in the United Corporations of America. That is what we live in. And to deny it at all anymore 
is to literally be, again, this is why the scene in the matrix, the best scene in the matrix is the, one of the very first scenes, which is you can take, you can take the blue pill and you can believe whatever you want to believe, or you can take the red pill and see what the world really is. And as much as people think that they would take the red pill, the truth of the matter is they wouldn't. A lot of people, especially like with all due respect, Barbara, people don't know, would take the blue pill. It's so much more comfortable. It is. It's very uncomfortable to be where I'm sitting. That's what, that's really, that's all it is. It's really about comfort. It's about living in that echo chamber because most people, especially liberals, like to live in an echo chamber. It makes them feel comfortable. Yeah. I gave up feeling comfortable with this. There's nothing comfortable about it. I have to deal with it. Like it's, I've processed it, but, and it's like big girl panties pulled up and stuff. Like you've got to just sort of suck it up and deal with it sometimes. And this is, this is one of those things. And I, I feel badly about it. It's not like I like that position. It's just like how I feel about Debbie. I don't want to not like her. I wish I had a representative that I thought was doing a good job. I wish I had a representative that wasn't on the corporate payroll. I would love to have that. And then I wouldn't be here. You guys wouldn't know me. We would have never met. A lot of things wouldn't have happened. Like, I'm not doing this because this is fun. Like, this isn't fun. It's not fun for people to hate on me. It's not fun for people to call me anti-Semitic, self-loathing Jew, or any of that shit. None of that's fun. People are so nasty and mean and look for the worst things in you to highlight and put up. Like, I assure you, none of that is fun. But you would be surprised what people will say on the internet that they would never dare say in person. And that, I think, really says a lot. And with that said, we appreciate you guys. One more time, like, subscribe, share, contribute if you can. We'll see you Monday. Thanks for watching. If you want to support our mission to transform politics into service, please like this video, subscribe, follow us on social media, and consider joining our Patreon, where you'll get early access to our interviews as well as other exclusive content. Links are in the description. Peace out.